0: Hello and welcome back to The Philosophy Guy, your place for all things philosophy in culture, society, politics, entertainment, pop culture, basically philosophy that's all around us in our everyday life. So in today's episode, I'm trying yet another new format, not really a drastic change. So for anyone new, I've been trying a few various formats the past couple of months. Of course, I have my you know, TV show and film analysis through a philosophical lens, I've done a book review through a philosophical lens, I've done commentary where I critique some audio from places such as Prayer You. Now I would like to provide an article I found interesting. Sometimes it will be an article I agree with and find interesting, sometimes I will provide an article I found interesting but find some issues with it, or maybe it just, you know, sparks some general thoughts and discussions. A lot of times it will include like a big question like this one today, should people be punished for crimes they can't remember committing? Also, this episode does does uh, the this episode does some uh, cultural philosophy through entertainment. So I'll be examining some of the aspects of Marvel's Bruce Banner, the Hulk, and I'm trying these these formats to kind of it helps keep the content coming, change the pace, and kind of figure out what everyone likes best in the format, and kind of what episodes do well, and and taking in your feedback as well. So. I'll be reading some excerpts and then providing some commentary on that. And so, yeah, let me know if you th- like this. Anyway, as always, thank you for your support. You can check out my Patreon to recommend what I cover next and get the bonus episode feed, which is for Patreons only and other ways to support. You can check out the links below and uh, also be sure to join the discord so we can have more fun combos and uh, further the discussion. But let's do this let's get into it so this article is by helen Beebe, a professor of philosophy at the university of manchester so i'm going to just start off with a quote not a quote an excerpt from it to kind of get the things the ball rolling and kind of get you to it's a good summary of what basically this this is going to be about and this episode is going to be about so in 1985 vernon madison murdered a police officer julius Chalut. i don't know if i pronounced that right name right but anyway so in Mobile, Alabama, Madison was due to be executed by lethal injection in January this year, but was given a last-minute stay of execution. After several strokes, he suffers from dementia and memory impairment and can no longer remember committing the crime. The Supreme Court will now hear this his case. The legal issue hinges on the letter of the law. In 1986, the Supreme Court ruled that executing someone who cannot understand the reason for their execution violates the Eighth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. And in 2016, the Circuit Court of Appeal ruled that according to his perception of reality, he never committed the murder and hence cannot understand his reason for his execution. That ruling was later overturned by the Supreme Court, which now appears to be having second thoughts about that. The legal question then seems to be, seems to turn on whether someone who can't remember committing a crime is nonetheless capable of understanding the reason for their execution. But let's leave that tricky question to the Supreme Court to the side and ask a moral, a more sorry, a more general and more philosophical question: Can someone who can't remember performing an act be genuinely morally responsible, as opposed to satisfying the legal requirements for punishment for the act? End quote. So in Locke's view, we you know, if you can't remember performing a given act, then you are literally not the same person as the person who performed the act. See so that quote provides or that excerpt provides some nice background on how to formulate our thinking about this question. So some beginning thoughts on this question. I think it comes down to justice versus punishment. Now some think of these two terms as one of the same. I disagree. I see justice as needing to focus on consequences and rehabilitation. So, let's look at the concept behind death row. So, I'll be straight up. I'm against the death penalty because I don't trust our, partially because I don't trust our justice system to be 100% accurate, on, or at least even 99.99999% correct, on finding the correct person guilty. Even sentencing one innocent person to death is enough for me to be against the death penalty. We have evidence that innocent people have been put to death from Being on death row plus i don't trust our justice system to determine the crimes that constitute what should be placed on death row being a necessary punishment this is just one reason though but let's try to understand the concept of death row because i think that's important for reasons above and other reasons i don't see how we can call death row justice because isn't that kind of the point of our legal system is to to enact justice to take out justice, to perform justice, right? Have justice for society as a whole. The idea behind putting someone on death row is that they are so far gone that they cannot be rehabilitated. Meaning, say someone is, is put away from murder or multiple murders being put on death row means the actions are, are so extreme in the eyes of society and eyes of the law and eyes of the government the offender will likely repeat those actions if left to their own devices. Thus, the argument is they need to be killed. So if the victim has dementia, which is a death sentence almost on its own, it kind of loses its need for death row in in one hand. Plus, let's look at the history of the death penalty. It stems from the idea of this eye-for-an-eye mentality. Today, we have elected officials pushing for the death penalty for drug traffickers, First off, you have to prove why that drug dealer is committing an injustice. Secondly, why are they beyond redemption? Is the punishment proportional to the crime? All the answers to these questions is no. So where does this desire for the death penalty come from? To put someone to death for a crime. To me, it's this primitive human need for revenge and blood. Some don't see being put in a cage as vicious enough to to so we punish or we push to put people to death. To me, it's a barbaric form of justice because who does that actually help in society? It's this punishment mentality when at the end of the day, for for performing justice or putting you know, determining what justice is, the goal tends to be to better society, right? But let's, so I'm going to, let's, let's move on and kind of bring the focus back. So quote, start a quote from the excerpt or from the, from the article, sorry. Quote, according to one strand of thought stemming from the 18th century philosopher John Locke, the answer is no, in that Madison is not morally responsible. Indeed, Locke himself went even further than that. He thought if you can't remember performing a given act, then you are literally not the same person as the person who performed that act. That might sound decidedly odd, but for Locke, the concept of a person is what he calls a forensic notion. That is, more or less, a notion whose purpose is to sort out who is morally responsible for what. According to this more radical proposal, Madison's perception of reality that he never committed the murder is entirely accurate. So, in Locke's view, Madison is not now morally responsible for, that mur- for the murder. Indeed, he's not even the same person as the murderer, and hence does not deserve to be punished for it. But why think that in order to be morally responsible for something, you must be able to remember doing it? Well, let's approach this question by doing what philosophers often do, which is to consider some rather more extreme possible cases. Consider Bruce Banner and the Incredible Hawk. Let's assume that Bruce was or has no control over whether or when he turns into the hawk which he kind of does and that bruce can't remember or sorry that he doesn't he actually doesn't really have control on it bruce has no idea that hawk might have got up to suppose hawk does something really bad is bruce morally responsible for that there is, of course, room for dispute about this, but my gut feeling is that the answer is no. Bruce is not morally responsible, and that is so precisely because he can't remember what the hawk did. And Locke would add the extra step Bruce and the hawk are therefore different people. End quote. Also. So we will discuss, you know, proper punishment or rehabilitation on a later episode, but in the case we are here, we are assuming that if moral responsibility exists, then a person doing said immoral act or or breaking said moral law, such as murder, should be punished or brought to justice. However, you want to phrase that, I guess. Now, looking at the case of Bruce Banner, which I fumbled on my reading because now the audience, now, now you, the audience, thinks, <laughs> probably thinks I can't read very well. Uh, but Bruce Banner, things would be different if he had control over when he turns into the Hulk. But, you know, as we know from the Hulk, maybe, you know, later on, he he kind of develops his ability to transform, but in the beginning, he doesn't really have control over He doesn't even know what really happens when he's in as the Hulk. So let's take that as a case, such as we have seen in the later Marvel films where he does have control, or he knows he has lack of control over what the Hulk does. And let's say he still chooses to transform. In that case, Bruce would have some moral responsibility because he kind of made the choice to kind of let himself go essentially by turning into his alter ego the hawk so bring this bruce and hawk example to the real world say you know you are an awful drunk that blacks out and does stupid shit say you get into a fight during your stupid drunk state you wake up with a black eye but you don't remember getting it right are you morally responsible for the fight assuming you started it you would have some responsibility. And even if you didn't start it, maybe you kind of were put in the position that you, to get in the fight that you wouldn't have if you were in your altar, in your in your regular state, right? It's like, even though, as Locke says, you might be two different persons in the Bruce case and in the drunk case, or in the Bruce case in the sense that where Bruce actually has some control over transforming the Hulk, your choice to transform into to that other person, when in control, carries responsibility. It's something to consider when determining a punishment under our, our current justice system. But let's get back to the Madison case. So, quote, Madison remembers neither the murder nor, let's assume, any of the events leading up to it. So, in Locke's view, Madison is not now morally responsible, even in a derivative way for the murder, whether or not we add Locke's extra claim that Madison now is not the same person as the person who committed the murder, end quote. So I think people often project someone's someone's past person, the image they have of them in their mind onto the current people, even if they are completely different or don't even remember who they are. So at least the people who have issues saying Madison should not be punished and that they they see him as the same person because it looks like the same person, as though we we hate the idea of not being able to trust our perceptions. So some might say, well, past has has demonstrated the capability of criminal action, but still, the logic of that follows that you think people should be thrown in prison for the potential of committing a crime. To me, this is a slippery slope to allow our justice system to take part in And this is a sh- this is an example of uh, what the Minority Report alludes to, um, which is a, a film with Tom Cruise in it, which we will also be doing an episode at a later date. So we'll be diving into that question of of someone's potential for committing a crime. But anyway, some might say, well, past medicine, like I said, has demonstrated the capability of criminal actions, right? But still, like I said, we can't allow our criminal system to do to operate based on the potential for a crime so that to me is kind of washed out in a sense so i think this case provides some truth to Locke's claim in that madison does not remember the events leading up to the crime or doing the crime thus he's not the same person so if he is not the same person who committed the crime he is not morally responsible for the murder therefore it would be an injustice to sentence him to death as punishment from a moral position, he is not guilty of anything. But anyway, that concludes this episode. To give you kind of a rough overview of the article, I'll link the article below to if you want to read the entire article. Um, but uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and share with your friends because that is a good way to help the show because, well... I rely on a lot of organic growth, as I will admit, I'm not like this big media personality to that you can bring an audience on. I'm very much organically growing. So what that means is, and I also don't do an interview based podcast, so I don't bring guests on that can help share my podcast. I very much rely on people just finding my podcast, me advertising my podcast, and the audience advertising it for me. So if you enjoyed the episode, if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, share with your squad. And as always, thanks for listening and tune in next time. Peace.